0: rather non-blinding pace as we look through each one of these verses. My prayer is that it will encourage you, because these are not given for the purpose of you being able to come to Christ, but each one of these Beatitudes were given by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting and amazing to me that in three and a half years of the Lord's earthly ministry, we are really only given two sermons that He ever gave, And this is one of them. The second one found, this one is found in Matthew 5 through 7. And the second one is found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. But we are also given a picture in John chapter 17, and that is truly the high priestly prayer. And the high priestly prayer is where he prays, not just for his disciples, but he also prays for you and I. And so I would encourage you, these chapters should be really at the Tip of your fingertips, if you're struggling, you're having a bad day, bad week, spend time with God in these passages because He is speaking directly to you and I from His Word. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May we be satisfied in Jesus Christ today. Thank you. you may be seated. Despite the religious and ceremonial trappings, that ensnared the hearts and the minds of the people in Jesus' day. This new rabbi came proclaiming a freedom, freedom that only comes from living a blessed life. You see, there are are a lot of books. There are are a lot of maybe programs. There there are a lot of things that you can find. You can go to LCCC, and and I was there with Hannah this last week, and, and there are signs all over the place, enrichment, life enrichment classes. You know, that only works for, that only works for time. What, what happens when that no longer brings happiness to your life? What happens when you get older? Are, are those classes going to be there helping you when you and the, your spouse are struggling through areas in your own life? Are those life enrichment classes really going to change you when you're struggling with issues with your children or your grandchildren or your colleagues? or even one another within the church? No, they're not. You see, the only answers that we're going to find is going to be, says 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, that the Scriptures are good for all that pertains to life and godliness. That there, is, there is nothing in your life, I guarantee in fact, I challenge you to take me up on it, but there is nothing that is going on in your life right now that cannot be addressed from Scripture nothing whatever struggles you may have whatever joys whatever rejoicing every one of those things that are going on in your life have some kind of a principle now now we're not going to we're not going to dive into the purpose of prayer at this time but for example when we pray and the lord jesus christ says you have not because you ask not so ask according to my will and i will give it to you and and so people begin praying and they think a lot of times in church that they can pray about anything and everything, and God is somehow obligated to give it to us. Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that He will change our desires to match His desires. That means that when we read in Matthew chapter 6, which we will get to eventually some year, some century or millennium, Lord willing, But in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he gives this model prayer. And in this model prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God doesn't come down here to answer your prayer or mine based on our selfish desires. A lot of times, we're asking things that we have no business asking Him because we're asking for the wrong reasons, as James says, we're asking to heap it upon our own lusts. So it is important that when we come before God, that we are that we are seeking to heed the word of the Holy Spirit as as we open the Scriptures and read what He has to say to us. This. This is a love letter to you from God, from the creator of the universe. So I want to to ask you a question. I want you to help me out here a little bit. How many of you ever, I don't care when it was in your life, ever received a love letter? Okay, pretty much all of you. You've received a love letter of some kind. I mean, it could be a post-it note. it It could be a text. It could, be, it could be smoke signals, whatever it may be. You have received some kind of a love letter. So what happens when you meet up with that person and they say, did you read my letter? You say, well, you know, I'm going to get to that, Brother Dave. I'm going to read it. When are you going to read it? Well, you know, when, when I feel the urge to, upon me to read it, then I'll read it. The Word of God is no different. The Word of God given by the Creator of the universe is given in love to us so that we might know how to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, why are you in church today if the desire is not somewhere deep within you, given to you by the Holy Spirit of God, when you are made a new creation, is to become like Him who saved you and me. We should have a desire to live a blessed life. We should have a desire to fulfill His commands to us. And I want to remind you just briefly, and some of you may not have been here for the the first few Beatitudes, so I just want to give just a one-paragraph summation of what each one of these are. But I want to say before we begin with the first one, There is a religiosity that is found in America and even in the world today and it focuses on the external. It doesn't matter what country you go to. Some of you have been to third world countries and you can see a lot of trappings of religion. We saw that with Brother Breck Merkel last week and in some of the places that he has been in and in Southeast Asia, for example. It's not that people are not religious. It's not that they do not have a desire to know something greater than themselves. But when you get to a country like India that has over 8 million gods, little g gods, why do they have 8 million gods? Why would they have 800,000 gods? Why would there be a need for more than one god? And that is because our focus becomes wrong. We become focused with what the world has and what the evil one has to offer. And you begin hearing these voices or this voice that says, did god really say that did god really want you to do that is that really what is that really how simple salvation in christianity is that if we simply believe on the lord jesus christ romans chapter 10 we will be saved guaranteed it's a promise of eternal life yes it really is that simple on our website YellowstoneBaptistchurch.org, I encourage you, if you have not gone to our website, there are two little videos that will take you about 10 minutes of your time. One of them is, What is the Gospel? And it is probably one of the clearest presentations of the gospel message by Dr. Steve Lawson. We have shared several of these things before with you. But in these Beatitudes that we are looking at this morning, I am thankful that we who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be encouraged in our hearts, we can be encouraged in our minds, that Jesus Christ has not left us alone. He has not left us comfortless. I remember when we were in Liberia as church planters. I can remember there was a period of time, and it has happened maybe a couple of other times in my life, and and maybe the same thing has happened to you, and and that blackness, the despair, the depression just sets upon you, and you think, I just don't feel like I can live another day. It was during those times that the Holy Spirit became very, very real. There were times when we were in the jungles, we were miles from any other missionaries, and my wife had her, her iPad or a little tablet and we would listen to our music all night long until sometimes the battery would run out. And Sometimes it was the only thing that kept us going day by day. And I believe that we are where we are at today because the struggles that we had are some of the same struggles that you, are, you and I are having today. I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. But I know who has the answer, and I know where we can find the answer. And this is one of the encouragements that I'm finding in the Beatitudes, because the Savior here focuses on the issues of the heart. You see, the struggles that you and I have, it's because of what's in our heart. In the first Beatitude, we learn this. To be poor in spirit is to be recognized or is to recognize our great indebtedness to the Savior and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. In the second beatitude, we learn that only those who have been redeemed can truly be blessed as they mourn over their own sin and the sin of others. Not only is the mourner blessed, but they also find comfort both in this life and the promise of eternal life and eternal rest in the life to come. You know, there are many down through the years of ministry, over 30 years of ministry now that I've been blessed to be a part of. And there are many people who have told me, you know, I i don't think I'm a sinner. No, I, I don't think that I don't think that that part actually applies to me. It's all the other good parts, all the verses we like to take out of context. I would remind you this morning that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, not good people. And if you're not a sinner, if you don't believe you've ever been a sinner, then Jesus Christ has yet to save you. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. In the third beatitude, the Messiah reminds his hearers that once they have not acknowledged sin the way that God sees it, then we must learn to care for others with a meek and gentle spirit. Meekness towards God is is defined as that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. Every person who has ever lived has had some kind of struggles, you have struggles this morning whether you want to admit them to anybody else or not. Some may find them harder to deal with with others. As, as I have often said and, and shared with you before, the, the Scottish pastor who went to visit one of his parishioners and, and he walked into her house and she said, Oh, pastor, I'm, I'm just afraid that, that I don't have dying grace. And the pastor, very wise after years of ministry, looked at her and said, are you dying my sister has the doctor told you that you only have a short time to live oh oh no I, I'm just I'm just afraid of dying and the pastor looked at her and he said my dear sister I want you to understand that when it comes time for you to go to be with God in eternity he will give you the grace to walk across the Jordan River with him." You see, some of you may be struggling. We've got some who have cancer here, some who have had cancer, or they're in remission, or, or maybe heart issues, or some kind of sickness, or struggles mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever it may be. And yet through all of those struggles that you have, God is still there, even in the darkest times of night. It is hard to remember that God's dealings with us are good when we don't like what it is that He has for us in our life. But God's dealings are always good. This is why we find, or what we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. If you love God this morning, if you are seeking to obey Him, if you are called according to His purpose, which is to be transformed and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then He will give you the ability to accept whatever it is he has for you today and tomorrow and the day after that. Despite the struggles that we have had here in America, there are many things that we have not faced that the rest of the world does today. And one of those is being truly hungry or thirsty. Some of you like us have maybe have been in a third world country where you have seen the ravages of war and you've seen what it's like for people to struggle and fight over one bowl of rice and maybe not even have that for today. Here in America, we know what it's like for our teens having just finished off half a week of groceries to state an hour later, I'm starving. but are they really starving? No. Right now in this country, we don't know what that means. A person who is exercising may quip about being thirsty. Oh, I am just famished or I am parched. Yet few of us have ever known what it means to not have access to life-giving water. In doing a little research, one health journal stated this and and. and Where's Sister Melissa? Oh, there she is over there. You can correct me if the health journal is wrong, okay? With no food or water, the maximum time, or Brother Tyler over here. With no food and no water, the maximum time the body can survive is thought to be about eight to 15 days. With water only and no food, survival time may be extended up to two to three months. Starvation is not pleasant and many of us have seen pictures or maybe in real life where you've seen National Geographic documentary, particularly not too long ago, about places like the Sudan, Ethiopia. But with no sustenance or nutrition, within days the body begins to feed on itself. Another health journal noted, quote, when faced with starvation, the body begins to fight back. The first day without food is a lot like the overnight fast between dinner one night and breakfast the next morning. Energy levels are low, but pick up with a morning meal. Within days, faced with nothing to eat, though the body begins feeding on itself. Dear brothers and sisters, the spiritual life is no different. If you and I are struggling or not hungering or thirsting after the righteousness that only comes from Christ. And if you miss anything else this morning, if before you tune me out, I would really like you to hear this. If you are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you are starving. You are literally starving your soul to death. You know, when a person is starving, they may not always recognize the severity of the lack of nutrition. And with the spiritual life, it's no different. But I can tell you that when there is a lack of biblical spiritual nutrition in the lives of the believers as they work and minister one with another, if it is not present, it reflects on the rest of the body of Christ. The reason that People often leave church more times than not is because they're weak and starving. They don't spend time praying. They don't spend time reading their Bible. And it reflects not just in their life, but on the lives of others. Some of you know, I I, I shared a situation here not too long ago where there was a couple and and they came in for counseling and sat down with me and I asked them, I said, how often do you actually spend time reading the Bible together? Oh, we've never done that. I said, wait a minute, in your entire married life you've never done that? Oh, no, not even once. I said, do you pray together? Oh, no, we don't do that either. Do you spend time reading or praying with your kids? And he looked over at her and said, well, she does it with the kids every now and then, but I can't be bothered. I warned them in that very first meeting. I said, if things do not change in the way that you look at God, you're going to find yourself divorced. You're going to find your family and your life falling apart. And they chose not to listen, and today they are divorced. You and I have a responsibility to read our Bibles, not because we need to check off a box, not because it's something that we get up in the morning and we have a to-do list and, yep, did my Bible reading, did my little prayer, Lord, I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having a regular relationship. A relationship that is so deep that you will do whatever it is that Jesus Christ asks of you. Last week, we had Brother Breck Merkel here. For 10 years, he served in the country of Myanmar. My mom and dad served as missionaries overseas. Some of you know other missionaries who served overseas. My wife and I served for a number of years overseas. I I, I want to encourage you by what I'm getting ready to say. Those who go are no different than you. They just were willing what a vessel. That's all. You see, because if God calls you to do something, he's going to give you the strength and the ability to be able to do whatever it is that he has called you to do. Too often, though, that we we think that if if we think that God is going to call us to something, that, that we have to be some superhero or some super Christian. No, you simply have to be willing to do what God wants you to do. But I will tell you this. God will never call you to do something and go to another country that he's not having you do here right now. If you are struggling spiritually, it may be because you are lacking in the meat of the word. It may be that your actions, your thoughts, your words are reflecting to others in, in such a way that they can see it, but maybe you cannot. Again, we talked about it in the Sunday School Hour, but our children are growing up. Some of you maybe made a mark on the, on, on the wall to show how far they had grown maybe in, in the last three months or the last year, or whatever it may be. But what happens when your child comes up to you and say, can you measure me again? I think I'm a little taller today. Well, when did we last measure you? Yesterday. You're not going to grow since yesterday. It's a progression. It's a path that is involved. And the Christian life is no different. You may be struggling. You you may think, and and we have been talking about this, for example, in our Hebrews class, and, and I've asked some of the men if they would be willing to share something that they are learning in Hebrews. And we're in Hebrews chapter, chapter 9, I believe, right now. And there are some who may not be willing to do that because they're going to try to stack themselves up against Pastor Mark. That's not your responsibility to do that. Uh, The ladies have a meeting on Monday nights. We encourage you ladies to attend that from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And there may be some of you who may eventually be asked to be able to share something, to share a testimony or whatever it may be. And, And Psalm 107 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And some of you may not be willing to do that because you're afraid of what others may think. I want to share with you the same thing that I shared with our men on Thursday night, and it's this. The only person that you should be striving to please is Christ, not me. Sadly, it is rare to find a a true Christian who is eating another one, who is of the world. No, it's more commonplace to see us as Christians eating on the soul of another believer. Sometimes we have a bad week, bad day, bad month, whatever it is, and and all we're doing is we're just chewing on each other. And instead of coming to church and it being a hospital for those who are sick and struggling, what we're doing is we're just looking for another meal. Shame on us. Instead of striving towards godliness, sometimes it's easier to have roast pastor for lunch or to chew on others seeking to gain some kind of nourishment. And I'm not trying to be nasty in any way this morning or flippant. Any of you who have ever done ministry, you know how hard it is. You know what the difficulties are. And it's not just because we're responsible for our own lives and the lives of our own families. I'm responsible for every one of you before God. This is a serious obligation that any pastor has when we study the Word of God to make sure that you're leaving here fed, nourished in Christ. Yet sometimes we find it easy to still be friends with the world or or with fake believers or, or with those who don't have God's church at heart. It's nothing new. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Listen, that's the only connection that you and I really have with one another. We don't have the same job. We don't have maybe the same likes. Don't even like the same football teams. We don't like whatever it may be that's going on in your life. We may not even like the same food. I mean, some of us think that Italian food starts at Olive Garden. It really doesn't. But each one of us are different. But you know, the one thing that binds a true church together, one with another, is the love that Christ has for us and then that love that we have for one another. I haven't said this in a long time and I want you to hear it directly from me. On the front of the bulletin, where's the bulletin, do I have a bulletin here? I thought I had one, it's here somewhere. Does anybody have a bulletin? I should have one, but I don't right now. Oh, here we go, thanks. Right there on the front. If you've got a bulletin, I want you to look at that. Okay, what's down the bottom? Your number. That's pretty good. My number. If you need help, if you need encouragement, if you're struggling spiritually, you don't know who else to turn to, call me. Call Brother Jeff. Ladies, call Sister Melissa. Call my wife. Call my mom. We are here to help you because we know what it's like to walk through the difficult days of life. We also know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We know what it's like not to have any fear of the evil that is there. Those are put on here for a reason. It's for you to call on. I don't care what time of or day of night it is. I know what it's like to get calls in the middle of the night to go to the hospital. I know what it's like to get a call in the middle of the night to go to the funeral home or, or to go and sit down with somebody who's threatening to take their own life. We know what it's like as a couple to go and sit with somebody who then takes their drugs and flushes them down the toilet as we strive to help that person live for Christ. You see, that's biblical. Because Galatians chapter 6 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I can't fulfill the law of Christ if I'm not helping you bear your burdens. And the same thing goes for you to me. Amen? For the whole law is fulfilled, Paul continues, in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's hard to be chewing on somebody that you're actually praying for. I'd like to encourage you to do that pray for others pray for one another we've got church directories go down through that list and pray for each one of them by name lord i don't know i don't know why you're bringing brother jerry and sister melissa jeremy and melissa to to my mind but lord whatever it is that they're going through today would you please be with them give them strength for the jobs they're doing somebody's got a health issue lord you're the great physician and, and and whether you choose to heal in this life or the next God, you are a gracious God, and you can choose to answer the prayer, but if you don't answer the way that we want you to answer, Lord, give us and them the grace, the mercy, the strength, and the comfort to be able to accept whatever it is you have in store for them. The word bite in this passage that Paul is speaking of, and Devour. The word means to wound the soul, to cut, to lacerate, and to rend with reproaches. How many of you remember from school the little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but will never hurt me. What a lie. Because words do hurt. They get right down into the deepness of your soul when you are laying on your bed at night and your pillow is wet with your tears and you wonder why somebody said something or they meant something or they, whatever it may be. We've all been there. We've all had the struggles. It wasn't just in school. It wasn't just in college. It's living everyday life. And you know what part of the problem is, is we're trying to live sometimes through somebody else's eyes instead of focusing again on Jesus. The word that Paul uses for devour literally means to consume by eating, to ruin by the infliction of injuries. Paul then concludes by warning the Galatian believers, don't be consumed. This is indeed a serious matter for us to consider. The word here is used three times, and it means to destroy. It is used in Luke 9, 54, where James and John ask Jesus, would it be acceptable for us to call down... Notice they don't ask Jesus to do it in this passage. They say, would it be okay for us to call down fire and destroy those nasty Samaritans? That's essentially what they're saying. Why? Because they were not accepting the Messiah. It's used in Second Thessalonians chapter two verse eight, to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ destroying the lawless one when He returns. This is the same consumption that we're talking about to destroy one another. Now, there are several of the brothers here and we like having a good time, and they joke with me about my hairstyle or lack thereof or the fact that I'm short, or the fact that I'm whatever. And I have to tell you something because it may come as a bit of a shock, so I hope you're sitting down. Oh, never mind. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we are going to spend all of eternity at the feet of Jesus together, not apart. There's no separate parts of heaven. There is one heaven, one Christ, one throne, and I won't be on it and neither will you. Does it not behoove us? You know, th- this whole thing, some of you are aware of what I'm getting ready to share. Uh, you know, this whole situation with, with, with another uh, pastor who said something that he shouldn't have said and, and it's blown up all over the internet. I, I am, I wish I could say that I was shocked at the hatred, at the animosity, at people who have come right out and said, well, that man just can't even be a true Christian. We have no right to say those kind of things. And 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 I want to encourage you, just like when we were growing up, by the time, by the time my brother was close to me, was 16. I mean, he, 15 or 16, I can't remember, my brother John shot right by me. I mean, he ended up being like 5'10", Built like a linebacker, kind of like look, my boys, two of my boys, anyway. And you know, one of the things that if somebody were to look at our family, they say, well, you know, why aren't you growing? We're all different, we all grow differently. We all grow at different rates, different different growth, different strengths, but together we work as, again, we looked at in Ephesians chapter 4 this, this morning, that the Lord Jesus Christ put all of these things together, put you and I together in a local body of believers for the maturity of the saints. I and every other true pastor, whether in Cheyenne or, or anywhere else in the world, should have a desire to see you, to grow from being a baby Christian to being a mature Christian. And there are times that it's painful. We, we've talked about this. I can remember growing up as a teenager and going to mom and dad and saying, oh, this hurts and that hurts. Oh, it's just growing pains. You'll get over it. That's true. But in the Christian life, my dear brothers and sisters, you and I should always be growing to such a point that that we are having struggling, growing pains for all of our Christian life. You say, well, what does that mean for me? I I don't know that I'm even a Christian. I, I, I don't see anything in me. I think I'm a Christian. I said a little prayer. I did this, I did that. How about talk with somebody else and say, do you see Christ in me? You see, if somebody else can see Christ in you, then as I have encouraged our men to do on a Thursday night, for example, or in our discipleship class that we have on Sunday nights or on on Saturdays once a month, I encourage people to say, hey, go and talk with your spouse. Go and talk with another brother or sister and say, hey, do you see me more like Christ today than I was a year ago or six months ago? Paul gives this warning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen, folks, you and I, we can struggle with every sin that is available in the entire world. You, can, you and I can fall for it if we don't have our eyes on Christ. A Christian can get drunk. A Christian can commit adultery, a Christian can lie, a Christian can cheat, a Christian can do whatever it is. The difference is between us and the unbeliever is the unbeliever relishes or enjoys or stays in that sin. If you and I are a true believer, we will not be able to remain in that because the Holy Spirit will change us to be more like Him. But it's interesting that in Galatians chapter 5 that it is right after these verses in verse 16 that He covers both the fruit of the flesh or the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see this for yourself. Galatians chapter 5. Walking by the Spirit, by the way, is not for superhuman Christians. It's for you and I. Every single day. He says this in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you, what does it say? Want to do. He's talking to believers. In other words, there's still struggles you're going to have. You have a besetting sin. You have some kind of sin that you struggle with on a daily basis, the way you talk to your spouse or your kids or your workmate or, or what you're watching or listening to or reading or whatever it may be. He's talking to you and I here the things that you would want to do. But, he says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Here he gives a list of them. And it's not just the gross sins that we may think about. Yes, there are some there, like sexual immorality, but what about impurity, sensuality, idolatry? You know what idolatry is? Idolatry isn't just those eight million gods that are being worshipped by 1.5 billion people in India. Idolatry is any time you or I set up something that we think of more than we think of God. That's idolatry. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Oh, here's one. I'm sure none of us have ever struggled with this one. Fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Oh, boy, I sh- envy, uh, the envy one. Wow, I sure wish I had one of those. Boy, I wish I had. That's envy. Envy is not being happy and content with such things as God has given to you and I. such things like these i warned you and i warned you before now listen this is the hard part those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god now you need to ask yourself where am i today because if you're doing these things and you have not been redeemed by the blood of the lamb that means that every fit of anger every bit of envy every sexual immorality, every impurity. Those are things that you're going to have to live with for all of eternity. But there is hope, and the hope is found in the fruit of the Spirit because he continues writing to these same dear saints, and he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. He could have stopped right there. Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's what Paul is saying. You may be struggling this morning because you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And it may be that the reason why you're struggling with whatever sin it is that is in your life is because you are not being filled with the fruit of the Spirit to overflowing. Paul, Paul told the church in Ephesians, he said to them in Ephesians chapter 5, listen to this. He says, Be filled with the Spirit as a drunk person is controlled by their wine. In other words, you just like a drunken person who is not an alcoholic, that's the world's term, a drunkard, somebody who is drunk with wine, Wherein is excess, the Bible says that you and I should be so filled with the Spirit that the Spirit controls us just like a drunkard is controlled by his alcohol. Now here's the question. Is that the way you and I are being controlled this week? This last week, is there something that you gave into, maybe that you shouldn't have? Something you said, something you did, something you saw, something you listened to, something you, whatever it may be, an action, it could be just a thought. Lord willing, next week we're going to conclude this message by looking and and seeing what each one of these words mean. What does it mean to actually hunger? What does it mean to actually thirst? And what does it mean to be satisfied? Whatever you have gone through this last week, whatever sin, whatever struggles, I want you to know that there is an answer. I want you to know that God through his Holy Spirit, if he has made you a new creation, he's not gonna leave you there. He is going to change you day by day by day, sometimes hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute, but he will change you. You see, because you and I can't do it on our own. We don't have the strength to do it on our own. And if you try to do it on your own without the help of either the Holy Spirit or the help of other believers, you're actually missing out on a blessing. I'm going to tell on one of these little fellows up here. Somebody called out and said, hey, Pastor Mark, we were talking and we think, We need to tell you something about potlucks or church lunches. Well, I want to tell you how many times we should have it. Like this many times. How many years? Oh, at least this many. I'm thinking, well, hopefully my brain will still be good in 10 years. But you know what's encouraging to me about that? Mom and dad are raising them right. Mom and dad are raising them to have a desire to fellowship with one another. To have love for other people. To encourage them. You know, if if you're a visitor, just like all the other visitors we've ever had in the past, you can't get in and out of this church without a number of people talking to you. Without saying welcome, without asking you what your status is, where are you coming from? We're glad to have you here. Listen, we know Yellowstone isn't for everybody, but if it's for you, then be the best part of Yellowstone that you can possibly be. So, Christ, in this passage, in speaking to our hearts this morning to hunger and thirst. After righteousness, he begins with one word. And this is what I want to end with today. Blessed. Blessed. Deuteronomy 33, verse 29 says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Your enemies are shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. The one who is blessed is one who is happy. This is what Psalm 1 is. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And this is my encouragement to each of you this morning. You want to lead a blessed life? Then hunger and thirst after righteousness. The only way you're going to ever be able to obtain that righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Because you can't work it up. As we're going to learn, Lord willing, next week, if he tarries and he allows us to be here, he allows you to be here, we're going to see what the Bible has to say. But I can tell you this, Isaiah 64 says that your righteousness is worth less than nothing. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ will take you into eternity as one of his children. May it be so for his namesake today. And may this week, in preparation for next Sunday's message, my prayer is that you and I will hunger and thirst, not just for righteousness, but that we will hunger and thirst for God's word that we will hunger and thirst for fellowship one with another. We will hunger and thirst for times to be in prayer, for times to focus our eyes away from the world. Listen, there's a lot of nasty stuff in the world. There's a lot of nasty news, There's and it's only going to get worse. But the Bible says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. He is going to return. And if you're one of his children, he's coming back for you and I. Amen, let's pray, Lord, there are times I believe in each one of our lives, I know there has been in mine when I have not hungered and thirsted after the things of God the way that I should. There are times that the world gets under our skin, or maybe even other believers get under our skin. Our families do, or our colleagues. And yet, Lord, our focus needs to be taken off of them, off of that which is temporal and put on the eternal. So we began right at the very beginning, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, looking unto Jesus, the one who is the author. The author is the one who began this. Philippians chapter 1 says, He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would continue to do a work in hearts, do a work in my heart, do a work in the heart of every person here at Yellowstone so that we might see revival, that we might see a spirit of renewal that points to the world and the world looks at us and says, Oh, there is a group of people who have been with Jesus. Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we go from here today, that hearts have been encouraged but also challenged. Thank you for having challenged my heart as I have studied and prepared for this and may it continue for your namesake. Yes, this is because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of all of our praise and all of God's people's sin.